Welcome to Cinescapism, the podcast by two friends who love to talk about the movies. I'm Kendra. And I'm Anthony, and we're back! We're back! <laughs> and there weren't that many crickets in between us saying our names that time. No, this is our second <laughs> so attempt. So that's good. <laughs> Hi! Hello! Uh, after How's like it going? A, m- a million years. I know, literally like 84 years. Do you think the search party is still out there looking for us? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Our devoted fandom. Our devoted fandom's like, who are you again? <laughs> what is this? What is this? What came up in my i iTunes? <laughs> How are you? I'm really good. How are you? Yeah, I'm alright. I feel like... So, the last time we recorded was in October for Halloween. Oh my god. So, we, we had like a um, winter hibernation period. Yeah, so I guess we could call this Season 2, Episode 1. <laughs> yes, Queen. <laughs> yes, Queen. Um. Yeah, all new Kendra, all new Anthony, same bullshit that we usually talk about <laughs> <laughs> movies and gossip and just like movies and gossip drag that race interest us yeah just yes. random things so this so, episode actually doesn't oh. have an official sort of theme we just thought we'd just talk about a few different things and just catch up generally on what we've been up to and what we've been watching and stuff yeah that's probably best to kind of segue back into doing themed um episodes yeah. Um, what so. What have you been doing the since you know Halloween? Since Halloween. <laughs> well, there was Christmas in between. <laughs> uh huh. And um, I don't know, just working, trying to work on my freelance stuff, but also working at the library. Still, I actually got a new job at the library, um, so I'm working in a different department now. But it's quite boring, so there's not a lot to talk about really. Um, well, you you showed me some cool things on Facebook the other day that you found in some of the records in the department where you work. Yes, because we actually have sort of India records from the times of the empire. So um, we have all sorts of different sort of um, army records and also birth certificates and things like that. And um, I actually found a, what was it a baptism record for Vivian Lee? Yay! An original one, which was really cool. And then I found that is pretty cool. Like a, it wasn't a birth certificate. It was like a birth record, um, for Joanna Lumley, and because oh. because she helped us with our Ava book, so I kind of still have her contact details. So actually, I sent her a photo of it to say like, hello. I'm not sure you've actually seen that before, so I thought I'd send it to you. And she was like, I've never seen this. Thank you so much for sending it. That's really sweet of you. So that was really nice. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So was it okay? You're working in the maps department is that right no it's not maps so this is the asian africa section so there's different collections sort of related to africa and also to the orient and uh-huh. you know far east and all that and the former british empire so there's a lot of different collections really so it's quite um, interesting but the thing is you know it's not really my area of specialty so it's not it's probably very interesting for someone who actually studied that and who's like into history of of that region mm-hmm. whereas for me it's not all that interesting because it's not really what i do so can i can i ask you some questions about it because it sounds really cool 
Yeah, sure. If I can answer them, I'd be happy to. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so the records that you found, were they in, like, a book, a bound volume, or was it, like, loose pages and things just in a box somewhere? The Vivian one was in this huge book where I guess they recorded uh-huh. all of the people who were baptized, and it was for sort of two or three years. Okay. So it was just one line that related to Vivian. You would never know, but um, because we have quite a good um, catalog online, I was able to locate it. Um, That's pretty brilliant. It didn't actually say it was that Vivian was going to be in there, but obviously I knew her birth, uh, her, her date of birth, and where she was born. So I, I was able to find it, and the same with Joanna. I knew what year she was born, so I just looked it up, yeah. and, and it was there. That's so. That's so great to have that. I feel like the British Library is really organized in terms of having information online for people to look at. Um, I've only done a little bit of research in special collections there, mostly with the Laurence Olivier papers. Yes. Um, but. Yeah, I think it's really great that that information is out there for people to be able to know what you have in the library because I know in a lot of archives and museums and it's like a sector-wide kind of um, issue, you know, there's not always funding or resources to be able to catalog everything. And so a lot of times, like, researchers don't know exactly where they can find certain information because it's just Mm. not, like, publicly available in that way. So I, I feel like the British Library is really on top of the game because yeah. they have a lot of money. I mean, there's still a lot of materials that have not been properly catalogued or even sort of, you know, touched. So we have boxes and boxes in, in the basements of sort of, for instance, maps or other documents mm-hmm. where, you know, people have donated and and the curators still haven't been able to get to them because there's such a backlog. So there is a lot of stuff yeah. that's still sitting there. Um, Yeah, yeah, like I said, I think that's a sector-wide kind of issue. Um, Mm. We're dealing with the same thing in Bradford, so... Yeah, but but with those papers, because they they relate to the British Empire, so I think they're pretty well catalogued, because obviously they were really important government documents at at one point, so Uh they were just moved here. I'm not sure where they were before, but they were moved here because... The current building only opened in 1997, I think. So before that, there were different sites. There was the British Museum was one of the sites. There was also a few other sites around London. So Uh they moved everything into this current building only about 20 years ago. Oh, wow. So in this this archive, is it just sort of um, like letters and documents or are there like photographs and everything because I find that the topic of colonialism really quite interesting Mm. from like a museum perspective like dealing with those different kinds of like really complicated legacies that weren't always you know well to be honest they weren't like kind to people you know um that lived in different countries the people that were sort of subservient to the white people who came in and took over um so are there like photographs and things like that or you know how how are those things dealt with yeah there are actually boxes and boxes of photographs letters even passports which actually Mm -hmm. i found really interesting because i came across this huge box of passports and um you can really tell a lot by looking at them because mm-hmm. you know they have photographs and also they have the occupation of the person and it's really interesting because whenever you have a 
uh, you know, a man, you have his occupation is whatever it is, you know, merchant mm-hmm. or salesman or whatever. And with women, it's it, it there's never it's always just a, a line. Like so, women had no occupation most of the time. Yeah. So that's really sad. Um, S- are there kind of um, associate mostly documents and photographs of like the British, the white British people that went over to India or no, Africa there's, or? There's a lot of you know, the passports are mainly from people who are actually you know native to to those countries. So uh-huh. that's why they're so interesting because yeah. a lot of them came over to the to to this country to the UK sort of in the late 40s and the 50s and 60s uh-huh. as well so those passports yeah. i suppose are from that time when they were coming over here to to find work or to relocate and how interesting uh, and it's really beautiful because they're, they're like most of the time they're dressed and they're like really you know in their native kind of wear and it's uh-huh. the photographs are really beautiful and you can really tell a lot from from just looking at them that's that's so interesting. I wonder why the passports, if they came over in like the 40s and 50s and 60s, why the passports are now with the British Library instead of know. with those I don't know. I think people. that when they arrived, they could, after a while, maybe they could apply for a different passport for like a settled status here. So maybe they would give away, you know, their old passports and they were kept or... Oh, sure. so they'd have to like send them into the home office basically and then yeah. a new one was issued and they, the old one was kept yeah i think so how interesting but the um, thing is Bradford, a lot of these people are still alive because they might be you know in their 80s or 90s and so it's all restricted material and unless you have a letter uh-huh. from the family saying that you know you have permission to view them a lot of those records you can't actually see so there's a lot of things uh-huh. that are kind of you know restricted or strictly Restricted, so it's interesting yeah, it's because like we get a lot of people coming in saying, "Oh, this is my grandmother, or this is my grandfather," or, you know, or people bring death certificates to prove that the person is dead. So then we can uh-huh. we can show them certain documents once we are sure that the person is no longer alive. So it's yeah, yeah. it's quite it can be interesting. It sounds so interesting. I was gonna say that in Bradford, um, a lot of like uh, I think sort of Western Asian people like from India and Pakistan came over in the 1950s and 60s and settled in Bradford. So there's like a huge Pakistani Muslim community. Um, so it just reminded me of that when you were talking about the passports of people yeah. from that time. Yeah. How cool. <laughs> so that's my new job. That sounds really fun. It's all right. There are days when it's quite difficult because you get... Sometimes you get people from, for instance, China, and you get like a, a whole group of them, like 10 or 15 at the same time, and they all come in, uh-huh. and they like, they want to see this range of like really complicated documents that you have to then find, and it's really hard to find them, and obviously you have to be really careful how you handle them, so it takes uh-huh. a lot of time and a lot of care, and obviously at the same time you have to do everything else, so it can, like, those duties can really pile up, and there are days when it's just crazy. <laughs> So they don't, like, tell you in advance that they're coming? Sometimes they do. They just do. turn up? Sometimes they do, but you still, you know, there's still a lot to do even if they do, because the curator will um, get the documents out for you. Uh-huh. But then you have to, you can only issue, as I said, sort of one at a time if it's really fragile. And if you have, yeah. like, 10 or 15 people at the same time wanting one thing, so one person will come, you know, to get one thing, and then the other person will return it at the same time, and you can't, you have to be careful not to mix everything up, and you mm-hmm. have to, 
you know, they can only see those things at special desks and, you know, it's, yeah, it's quite a lot of just detail. You have to be really careful how you handle those things because a lot of them, we have things that are, for instance, like from the 12th century, sort of mm-hmm. um, Chinese manuscripts. So they're so oh fragile gosh. that literally if you handle it wrong, it will just fall into pieces. Yeah. So, so it's, and the curator has to make a decision whether, you know, it's, it's suitable to actually be handled or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the curator themselves, you know, they won't come to, to inspect it. So you are, I am responsible for making sure that it remains in a good condition. So it's quite a lot of responsibility as well. Yeah, that's so cool. You're like the gatekeeper. Yeah, and people are not very careful. You know, you see people sort of leaning, yeah. leaning on it or like resting their elbows on a 12th century manuscript and you're like, no, you can't do that. We we had a guy that came in to... You know, we get like a lot of academics who come into um, the museum in Bradford and want to look through archives of certain collections. And um, yeah, just sometimes people don't think like, you know within a museum context you have to handle things in a certain way like you can't just shuffle through papers that will all willy-nilly and i remember this guy about a year ago um was like putting things in his mouth putting pieces of paper in his mouth and we literally had to tell him like can you please not put he was he would just like pick them up and like hold them between his lips you know while he was like shuffling through and we're like no you can't you can't do that please don't put things in your mouth oh so weird and people get quite like touchy and like like you know they get offended if you tell them off but yeah the other day actually was quite uh, maybe i don't know if i should talk about this because it's maybe like um you know sensitive information but yeah uh-huh. <laughs> we do have a lot of sort of weird situations tense situations because people because also a lot of that stuff relate to people's families so they think they own it yeah. or they think they have a right to you know to it they think it's their property yeah. even though it's obviously not but they think because it's somehow related to their family or family history we should we just have an obligation to let them do whatever they want with it so it's yeah. it can be it can be quite tense sometimes you know and wow. people people come in and say oh i'm lady this and that and you know this was my <laughs> my grandfather who was in the army and you're like okay great but you still have you're to like, follow cool. the procedure <laughs> Please don't put things in your mouth. Yeah, or in <laughs> your warning handbag. warning to people who go. Yeah, please don't slip things in your handbag. Please I mean, don't you, lick the paper. Have you seen the film, um, um, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Yes, I watched, well, I watched most of it. I think I was, I can't remember if I was streaming it or watching it on Netflix, but um, yeah, I watched most of it. It's funny because after watching it, I was like super sensitive at work because obviously she... <laughs> For those who haven't seen it, she was so forging letters and stealing letters from libraries and libraries. museums. Yeah. yeah. So the next day I went to work and I was like looking at everyone thinking they're Melissa McCarthy. Just <laughs> like slipping it into their purse. Excuse me, ma'am, ma'am. <laughs> You're like, I saw you put that in there. <laughs> sir, oh, excuse me, sir. <laughs> Lady on aisle 12, can you please pull that back out of your handbag and put it on the table? Thank you. <laughs> that Jane Austen letter? I just saw you put it in there. Oh my. Well, we have letters for like Gandhi's handwritten letters and things like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. 
The British Library is such a cool resource. It is. Yeah, it's a national treasure. <laughs> it is a national treasure. I appreciate it. What I don't appreciate is the reader card process and how you have to always get it renewed and then it costs money. And if you forget to bring your, you know, bank statement or your electricity bill, then they won't give you a new one. And then you have to pay all this money. And But oh. anyway. <laughs> Are you speaking from experience? <laughs> speaking from experience. Yes. Oh, how is your yeah. job going? Yeah, it's good. Um, I applied actually to get a promotion recently and did not get the job. So I was like feeling really down on myself a couple weeks ago. But um, yeah, it's just one of those things that happens. And I kind of realized that. So the thing I applied for was um, associate curator of photography and photographic technology at the museum, which is like two really two collections that you have to uh take care of yeah and i you know in my current position i like really try to step up and fill that gap that was left by the previous curator who got bumped up to head curator and i just was so like down on myself because i felt like i put in so much effort into this application and the interview and just like trying to prove myself that i could do it and then i didn't get it so it's just like ugh you know but that said I think it's probably for the best because I really like working with the objects, specifically the photographs down in our research facility. And I want to keep doing that. And so hopefully something will work out where I can kind of change my current role a little bit to make it um, more inclusive. And uh, really what I want is a pay rise, you know? Yeah. I think you deserve it. You're doing such an amazing job. You can really tell just by looking at your social media you come across like you really care for the collection and you really take the time to to discover I those do. things and care for them so yeah and i think at different museums being a curator means different things so here at the museum where i work um it's not as much collections based as it is you know there's there's a bit of uh exhibition curation but also like acquiring new objects for the collection, doing research, things like that. Whereas day in and day out, I'm down there in inside the research facility, you know, cataloging the photographs, making these available, doing research as well. Like I'm going to this conference next month in LA, which I can talk about later. But um, yeah, so like, I, I feel like I really love what I do right now. Um, and I just want it to be a little bit more fruitful on the pay side which would be nice um and then i can hopefully progress from where i am now at a place where you know photography itself plays a bit more of a prominent role yeah. so yeah that's what i think hope, it's anyway. really cool that you have so many um documents and photographs in the museum related to sort of the vintage movie stars it's you find you're finding like really amazing stuff all the time yeah i mean they have like so the daily herald archive which i've talked about a couple of times on here um it's just like the it's the picture library for an old british newspaper <clears throat> a national newspaper so anyone who was noteworthy between like 1930 and 1967 
is probably represented in that particular archive somewhere. So like there is, you know, a whole box of, well, two boxes of Laurence Olivier photos. So there's a lot of Vivian Lee included in that. Um, three folders of Ava Gardner, for example. There's just, there's tons of stuff. And then we, which I'm, I'm currently doing right now is going through, uh, we have two other really big collections. One is the Kodak collection. And the other is from um, a photography magazine called Focal Press, which started in, I think, the 1940s. So what would happen with Focal Press is that these really famous photographers would send in photographs to be published in these magazines and in these books that um, this guy called Andor Kresna Krauss was publishing at the time. Um, so he was doing like retrospectives on famous people like Brassai and Andre Andre Deans and people like mm. that. So we've got all the photographs from that era at that magazine. And then the Kodak collection is like all samples of um, photographs made using Kodak cameras. And so both of these collections are humongous and there's like all of these really famous photographers represented in those. So I'm finding a lot of really cool stuff. That is amazing. I can see why you really enjoyed that that job. Yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. And also, <laughs> are you still planning on doing the um, meetup for Vivian and Larry fans? Yes. Yeah, so that's actually happening on June twenty second. That's really um, exciting. There's yeah, I, I plan this little meetup. It's called the Great Vivian Larry Great. Sorry, the Great Northern Vivian Larry <laughs> Fan Meetup, and it's going to be uh, you know people are meeting in Bradford. We're going to go to the National Science and Media Museum and do like a behind the scenes tour of the collections and a practical workshop about researching and archives using the Daily Herald photos. And then my line manager, Claire, she's the um, manager of the archives and li the library at the museum. So she's going to also be there to kind of guide people into just like practical things to know if you're looking for certain things in archives, like because, you know, researching in archives is different from just like looking at old newspapers online of and things course, like that yeah. you have to there's like certain protocols and like what to, you know how how to go about doing that so that's fun and then we're gonna go for tea and cake and anthony <laughs> i just wanted to let you know that it was sold out but one person canceled one person who had purchased two tickets so if you'd like to come along you totally should oh i'd love to yes it would be great, and I'd love to see the museum as well. I haven't actually been to the museum. Well, I would love to show you around. Oh, okay then. <laughs> yeah, you should definitely come. That would be great, and also June will be warm and nice, so yes. we'll have fun. Yes, yes. And um, the, there's a new um, bakery that's opened up across the street from the museum called the Cake Owl. The Cake Owl. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's... It's so nice and the cake is so good. And I went in the other day and they were playing RuPaul on the radio and oh I was like, God. oh, I knew I liked this place. And they said, actually, this is the Madonna radio station, but they play a lot of RuPaul. Oh my God. Okay. This yeah. place sounds amazing. <laughs> it is. Yeah, really good stuff. Okay, I'm sold now. <laughs> good, yes, come up because I have. I feel like I haven't seen you in a long time. So. You haven't seen. I don't even know when we saw each other last. Was probably like last year sometime. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> but you're going to. When are you going to California? I'm going to California on May twelfth 
for the Academy of Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences Film Librarian Conference. So so I will be presenting a paper on the Daily Herald archive at the museum where I work. And it's going to be talking about how we're actually going about caring for this massive collection. Um, and I'm using film photographs as like examples for my PowerPoint presentation, so it should be fun. I'm so jealous. That's amazing. Well, thanks. So- I'm really excited that I, you know, I had to submit a proposal and it was accepted, and they gave me a travel grant, which is always great. Yeah. So yeah, it's nice. I feel like it'll be really cool representing the museum um, at this sort of illustrious film conference you know there's gonna be people from like Cinematheque Francais and like the Japanese National Film Archive Library of Congress all these places so I'm really wow. really excited to network so is it gonna Hopefully. be at the, at the Margaret Herrick Library or at the new um, I think part of it is at the Margaret Herrick Library I can't I think it's at the Pickford Center I don't remember if that's part of the Herrick Library if it's a separate location right but yeah it's basically part of that and then I've signed up for a little excursion on the last day to go and tour the site of the new Academy Museum yeah so that's I'm so excited, so excited. About that yeah I don't know when they're opening, but I just I'm really excited to see what it's going to be like. And I think really know. soon. I mean, it says 2019, so I guess sometime this year. Okay, well, we'll see how far they've gotten on construction. I've already <laughs> been looking at the vacancies, like thinking, like please hire. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Dream oh job. God. It's it looks so big and amazing. It's basically like the British Library, but just for film, which is like my dream place. <laughs> Oh, it would be so cool. Yeah. Wow. Mm. So a girl can dream. Well, you know, someone has to do it, and why can't Someone's we do gotta it? Someone's got to do it. <laughs> it should be us, obviously. Yes, please. Yeah. If you're listening, please hire us. <laughs> hire us, Academy. We're really cool, and we know a lot about movies, and we both work in museumish kind of professions right now, so we'd be perfect. Yes. Please. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> Speaking of Academy, we also... Um, the Oscars happened not so long ago, so I guess we can mention that. I don't know if people still remember yes. what happened. <laughs> yeah, so um, I did not watch the Oscars, and I haven't watched it for a few years, basically because it's on way past my bedtime here. <laughs> so, yeah, I just usually, you know, read The Guardian on the day after to see who won. Oh, I always watch it. I always stay up and then take a day off work. It's like my tradition. <laughs> okay, well, what did you think about this year where they had no host? How do you think that worked out? I can't, oh my god, it's so long ago now. I don't think I actually cared, to be honest. Oh, okay. It didn't make much of a difference. It was still really long, even without the host. <laughs> yeah. And but didn't they also, like, didn't they also... um like skip some of the awards or like show them off camera or like the you know the day before or the day after like they didn't present all of the the normal I awards feel, during I the, feel like some of the, the show. so-called technical awards are, are show are presented in a separate um ceremony aren't they i think like I the wednesday no so the oscars are usually on sunday and i think they do the technical awards on wednesday i might be wrong and people who are listening probably crucify me but i, I f- i'm pretty sure that's the case 
Okay. Just like they don't do the honorary Oscars anymore at the main That was the best part. I know, I love those. That and the montages were the best part. And and by excluding those from the broadcast, that is a huge mistake. I agree. I love the... I remember Sidney Poitier was probably one of the last ones to get it at the at the main ceremony. It was it's just it added so much sort of magic and glamour to it. And now it's just I know. Yeah, I don't know. And also obviously for me because I really wanted Glenn Close to win Best Actress and I thought mm. she deserved it because of her career and she deserved it because of the film as well because I thought the wife was really good and she was amazing in it. I, mean, she didn't I haven't win. seen it yet. I was just so gutted and disappointed. I was like, no way. And I mean, the favorite was a- great, but I don't think yeah. that Olivia Colman was better than Glenn. I mean, I loved the favorite. That was the best film that I saw from this previous awards season. But I was a bit baffled that Olivia Colman was actually nominated in the best actress category instead of the best supporting actress. Because mm. to me, the film was really about... Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone's characters and then um, Olivia Coleman's character was kind of secondary yeah. so yeah no, it agree, really kind of confused me yeah. and I thought Emma Stone and Rachel Weiss were actually also really good so yeah me too yeah I don't know it was sad I was sad and I was I was so tired because it was like 4am by the time the best actress came and I was yeah. convinced that Glenn was going to win so when she didn't it was like what no way <laughs> Oh, but it's like Peter O'Toole, like always a bridesmaid, never a bride. So maybe Glenn's time will still come. Well, they're saying she's going to do the Sunset Boulevard musical movie. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. I'm sorry, a movie? Yeah, because you know she appeared in in the Broadway production and she won Uh a Tony for it. And it's like it's one of her big roles because she was really good in it. So they're doing, Uh I think they're doing a a film adaptation of it now or you know they've been trying to do it for about 20 years but there's Uh always a problem and they can't you know find funding or or whatever it is or Andrew Lloyd Webber is being a little bitch about it I don't know (laughs) so it's an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical of Sunset Boulevard yes how do you not know this Kendra this is (laughs) I yeah I I've just I don't really follow Glenn Close's career no, the only like... really the only things i see about it anthony is from that guy on um instagram who's always posting glenn close memes dublin zoetro <laughs> yes i love him he's so I hilarious i never know what he's talking about i'm just like okay <laughs> it's like very specialized gay musical theater knowledge but <laughs> okay <laughs> it's always like glenn close versus meryl streep memes and i'm just like i don't understand but i'm sure it's funny it's in really its funny way. i would actually give him a shout out if anyone out there loves glenn close or meryl streep or just you know any of the big camp actresses then you should definitely follow dublin zoetrope on instagram <laughs> Because he's <laughs> hilarious. And actually, he has so many followers, um, including Bianca Del Rio. <laughs> I've seen Bianca and I've seen Michelle Visage comment on his posts. Yeah, so, so he's a bit of an institution, but he's he's also a really, really nice guy because I've spoken yeah, to him. Yeah, I mean, I, so. I follow him with my... Um, my personal account like we've been following each other for quite a while because i think he likes like other old movies as yeah, well yeah he loves so. vivian lee he loves um, yeah um so yeah he- so like i knew he was funny but just like some of the stuff just goes way over my head i don't know what he's talking about but he seems very clever 
and the yeah, way he really he smart. does these memes and and the captions and everything. I'm just like, oh, I could never think of anything like that. Well, he's got this colossal knowledge of like Hollywood and Broadway, and yeah, he's really cool. But but yeah, Sunset Boulevard. The musical is like it was a huge hit on Broadway in the '90s, and then really? she won a Tony for it. And then she actually repeated it last year after like nearly 20 years, and it, again it was like it won huge accolades. And now I think finally they're doing a film version of it. Even though well, a lot of people crossed. think that maybe she's she's a bit too old now because Glenn is I think nearly 70, and obviously uh-huh. Norma Desmond was kind of 50, so it's a bit. She was like mm. 35. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think she's probably Kidding, like in know. her fifties, yeah. right? Like early fifties, I'd say. But I don't know. I think Glenn can probably pull it off. Sure. Well, I I wish her all the best. Same. Here's <laughs> hoping, Glenn. Well, so what are the other movies that you liked that were nominated, or which other ones did you see? So Green Book won Best Film. How do you feel about that? Yeah. I could not believe that it won, but at the same time. I feel like, okay, the Academy is so vanilla with its choices, like for Best Picture, always. It, it fit that sort of mold of Academy Award winning films of like, you know, it had some kind of like, like a racial tension issue, but it was very kind of like mild at the same time. It wasn't too, like, it wasn't like it was super safe. offensive, you know, it was kind of like, it was didn't really toe the line that much. It's just kind of like... Yeah, like driving Miss Daisy, basically. So I don't know. In reverse, I, I kind of. But I mean, there was like this whole controversy that um, Viggo Mortensen's character is basically teaching um, black people about jazz and and telling yeah. Mahasha Ali that he has to listen to jazz and why you're not listening to your own people and kind of. So it was, yeah, it was still a bit kind of white hope-ish <laughs> well yeah there was um like a you know seth myers the late night host yeah 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 so he did this parody video called white savior and it was like from the makers of driving miss daisy hidden figures green book <laughs> like all of these things where it's like the white person comes in and saves the day you know and helps the black people do like things Kevin instead Costner of giving them like, in hidden figures it's true and then obviously yes! Obviously, Emma, yeah. S- Emma Stone in the health, and like, yeah, it's true. Yeah. And so I was like, oh man, <laughs> it's so true. But I mean, I, th- I thought that film, Green Book, was like, it was all right. I you mean, know? I, I didn't enjoyed think it. Was it. I kind special. of teared up, and you know, it was like, yeah. It was, a, it was an okay film, but I don't think it, it was like the best film of the year. The favorite <laughs> was so much better. The favorite was really It was really like innovative clever. and creative and fun, you know? Yeah. And yeah. No, well. it was it was really good. And also, what do you think of um, A Star Is Born, the new version? Yeah. Again, so um, I actually haven't seen any of the older versions, um, but I knew the story. So when I watched this movie, I was kind of like, okay, I know like basically what it's about. But again, it was kind of like Green Book. Like I thought it was fine. Um, it was enjoyable, but I wasn't like salivating over it you know like the guardian gave it five stars and i was like five stars no this is like a 3.5 out of five at best for me sorry like it was just yeah well what did you think well i have seen all of the other versions actually uh-huh <laughs> So I'm I w- I've never been a big fan of the actual story. I always found it a bit cliche, and I don't know. I just 
wasn't a fan of I love the Judy Garland version because of the music I guess but the, the mm-hmm. story itself I always found like a bit predictable and boring so I was hoping going into this one that there was going to be something a bit different about it and mm-hmm. I suppose there was because there was a much more of an emphasis on um, the Bradley Cooper character and in, in, the, in the other movies it's much more about the female character and here it was uh-huh. it was almost more about Bradley Cooper than it was about Lady Gaga I feel yeah like he almost had more of a sort of emotional impact especially in the second well, half of the film well and he was the, the director and also he's the big star in it he, yeah, so, yeah I mean, he, I, thought, I thought he was really good actually I thought his performance was really good and his singing was yeah. great because he's not a singer but he, he did really well but Lady Gaga yeah. did very well as well so you know it, it's her first sort of acting role in a film because she did American Horror Story but this is the first time she did a major motion picture and I thought she was really good right. and obviously she, she sings really well so yeah it was enjoyable but yeah <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, see, I just thought it was fine. Like, I feel that way about a lot of new films that come out. I see it, and I'm just like, it was okay. It was all right. You know, it wasn't like amazing. I'm the same. I don't know if it's just have we been like desensitized or is it the films? I don't know. I, I feel the same the way. Films. I feel it's the films. A lot yeah. of the stuff is just so forgettable. Like, I, it doesn't like really leave yeah. a deep impact on me. In I don't know. I just sometimes yeah. I feel bad because in the old days I remember watching films and being like really so deeply affected by things I watch and you know I'd re- yeah. think of them for weeks and I would like really and now I just see something and I just instantly almost forget it. It's I don't know if it's me or is it the films. <laughs> Maybe it's this way uh, with the mainstream films. I'm sure there's a lot of like independent films that are being made that are really great. We just don't get to see them very often um, because, you know, they aren't as easily found in cinemas or I'm not sure. But I just feel like, you know, I look at the listings like the museum where I work has three cinemas and an, including an IMAX and always on the IMAX, it's like. Marvel films, Star Wars, <laughs> etc. And I'm just like, okay, I'm like really bored by this, you know, just like show me something good. But show me I something just, new yeah. as well. I feel like everything show is just... Show me something new. There's nothing new. Everything is just very safe and repeating the same old sort of formulas. And it's boring. Mm-hmm. It is boring. There's a lot of remakes as well. And then unnecessary sequels and prequels. Sequels, prequels. Yeah, it's just like, oh my goodness, honestly. Uh, did you see that there's going to be a season two of Big Little Lies? Yeah, I know. It's going to have Meryl Streep in it. Did you watch Streep the trailer? No. I, just... I didn't know there was a trailer out already. Yeah, but... it's. I saw it on Facebook. I just find it very difficult to, because obviously it was a book. And how do you continue that story? It was such a so self-contained can... story. I thought it was. I thought the first season was so good. I thought the ending was perfect. Yeah. I was like, "Wow, this is a great standalone series." And then they're coming on with the second season, where it's just like about okay. So, spoiler alert: if you haven't seen the first season, <laughs> you need to go watch it. But the second one is about like how the end of the first season is like that. That secret that all the women share is like eating away at them, and that Meryl Streep comes in. Of course, she's. Alexander Skarsgård's mom and she's like I'm here to find out what happened and it's like all right you know so it's just kind of like making this uh yeah do you think they're already like polishing an Emmy for Meryl probably 
<laughs> I mean, I'm gonna watch it. I'll watch it, but I'm not like super excited about it. I mean, the first season was amazing. I loved it. It was so good. It was brilliant. But yeah, I don't know why they have to. Well, we'll see. Maybe it will be really good. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I won't write it off. <laughs> no. Oh, but a movie that you need to see, Anthony, is Us, which is yeah, really great. I really want to see it. It's very different from Get Out. But I feel like Jordan Peele is very creative and has these really innovative ideas. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as a horror film, I thought it worked pretty well. And um, it was interesting, and it had an all-black cast, and Lupita Nyong'o was amazing. And, yeah, I would just really... I just love nice her. To she see is something so different. amazing. Is it quite provocative, then, that did you find, like... Is it quite, like... Get Out obviously had like such a an impact and it was so so like it had a real kind of point of view what do you think about this one is it so this so I felt Get Out was provocative but it had like a really kind of simple narrative structure you know where it's like very straightforward and Us is a bit more complicated and rambling so instead of dealing with like a race issue it deals with kind of like you know these sort of like existential questions of what if you had a double that lived out there somewhere and um you know what's the like the worst side of human nature like sometimes we're our own worst enemies so it's like these really kind of complicated questions that are played out in kind of a literal way but um the performances were amazing and Mm. it's i thought it was really great to see some like i just like see like african-americans playing the entire um main cast was really great because you don't see that a lot and so I think Jordan Peele's doing amazing things for representation and again Lupita Nyong'o I think she's a, I think she's just brilliant in everything that I've seen her in yeah, so I think you should really go watch it and it, it's quite it, it's very different it's not kind of um, it's not like a cliche horror story yeah uh, it's yeah it's really creative so, so it's something go watch new it. finally <laughs> Yeah, something different. No, I really want to. I've been trying to see it for the last couple of weeks because on Mondays here I get cheap, cheap cinema tickets, but I'm always too tired. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, maybe tomorrow because Bank Holiday Monday, I might do it tomorrow. Yes. Oh. Is it playing in Crouch End? Yeah, you know, we remember we have the picture house here. Uh-huh. And it's always just £7 on a Monday, so... Brilliant. It's not, not yeah, bad. go see it. It's, it's good. Worth the yes. money, I think. And another thing we wanted to just touch upon quickly was the TCM Film Festival, which happened very recently, in which we were both very jealous to, because we couldn't go. <laughs> yeah, that's again the same old story. Like not there, just watching people talk about it on Twitter, Insta, being jealous. Yeah, <laughs> I'm more of an Insta person, so I I see people like posting pictures, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it looked amazing as well this year. I mean, it looked like it was really fun. Well, was it was it the twentieth or twenty fifth anniversary of TCM? Yeah, I can't remember twenty fifth maybe. So what's nineteen nineteen? I think twentieth. Oh right. But yeah, gone, um, but I might be wrong again. Someone's gonna s- shout at the whatever they're well, listening on, what device you're listening you know. on. Don't shout at it. <laughs> Don't shout it. Just write it in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> um. But it's interesting because obviously, as I'm sure you know, the Gone with the Wind was the first film shown on TCM when it first launched. Uh-huh. D- you knew that? Yes. Like, 
the very first film. So it's interesting because there's this whole discussion recently also about Gone with the Wind again. It kind of resurfaces every year about how Gone with the Wind is problematic and whether it's still okay to like it and watch it. <laughs> yeah, so our our mutual um, acquaintance, Scott McGee, who used to work for Filmstruck, but he works for TCM, um, he organized this panel discussion at the TCM Film Fest about the complicated legacy of Gone with the Wind. So they had like Molly Haskell, who's a big uh, film writer, critic, yeah. historian. Um, she also has written a book about Gone with the Wind called Frankly, My Dear, <laughs> which is yes. interesting. It's like an academic study. And then a couple of other people who I never, I wasn't familiar with their names, but yeah, I think they just basically talked about these issues of like Gone with the Wind um, being a really complicated film in terms of the portrayal of slavery and all these sorts of um, issues that, you know, are kind of being talked about more today um, and I think that if you're a fan of the movie, you kind of have a difficult, well, some people might have a difficult relationship with the film and being a fan and saying like, is it okay if I'm still a fan of this movie, even though some parts of it haven't aged well and some parts are offensive to other people. And the thing that I was wondering, um, is whether, you know, I said, I hope it was a like productive discussion and not, you know, like patronizing toward people who like the movie. I hope no one was saying, oh, don't go watch this. It's trash. You should just toss it on the dumpster. Toss it in the dumpster. Um, so, yeah, but our friend Carly said that it was actually a really good discussion. And mm. all of the panelists were saying that, no, we should keep watching Gone with the Wind. It's a great film, but it's important and it's okay to acknowledge these issues of... Um, themes and tropes that do not hold up so well today which i think is great yeah, in a way that's a fair comment i mean as long as you watch it with the knowledge and with the sort of context that it's in mm -hmm. and don't take it you know f at its face value what you know obviously it's a moment in history and it's a way of looking at history that's you know very fixed in the in the time that it was made um yeah and also by a very white industry and so obviously it's not the way we think now but it doesn't mean that we can't appreciate its artistic value and you know the characters that are in it are amazing and the acting is amazing and the story itself is really interesting so I think as long yeah. as we, we remember why it is the way it is and you know put it in context it's important but I think the problem is that some people probably um, just look at it and you know and still like you remember the, the first thing that you see in the film is that is that introduction that says there was a land of slaves and masters blah 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 and there probably are still people who think that you know take it literally and think you know this is how romanticize it and and it's being oh, used as a, as a sort of a political tool and that is dangerous but as long as you don't you don't treat it like that as long as you only treat it as a sort of you know a piece of film art which is what it is rather and than it's a fiction it's important to remember that gone with one is fiction it's not like purporting to be a documentary or anything like that so you know i just think, I think you know it can be used by certain people as a propaganda tool because mm -hmm. and then it becomes dangerous you know especially yeah. if you and i remember even from my own experience when i watched it as a child and and 
I obviously I, I didn't grow up in America so for me it was I did take it very literally and I remember thinking you know if it did impact the way I was thinking about things and that that can be dangerous so mm-hmm. for instance if if a parent is watching it with a child or, or even a teenager they should definitely like have a sort of a history lesson and and give them a context and give them a background to it and say you know we're going to watch this film and you have to know this and this and this about so it's very important to place it in in a historical and social context and not just watch it without preparation because then it can be offensive and dangerous and and it's true because there are certain images in in it which are really disturbing when you watch them now especially Mm -hmm. they're really uncomfortable yeah and you have to you know keep that in mind and you can't just brush it off either so i think it's very important to to treat seriously and to to put into historical context but at the same time it's okay to appreciate it for what it is as a film so i don't know it's it's hard the thing that i think um i the thing that kind of bothers me right now is that it feels like gone with the wind is being made an example of uh, understandably because it's so popular it's still really a really popular film you know it comes out in cinemas every couple of years for like revivals people Mm. still love it it's still the highest grossing film of all time with inflation accounted for so it's it's great that there have been these discussions around it i mean i don't i i think people who write about this film as just like a piece of racist garbage that needs to be pulled or banned from cinemas are just being stupid but i i appreciate the discussion that's happening around it also i hope that it's not just like existing in a vacuum where gone with the wind is the only film that's made an example of because if you watch if you're a fan of old movies in general you are going to be confronted by a lot of images not just racial but like sexist images homophobic everything um that are uncomfortable and that you know deserve to be talked about as well so i'm hoping that tcm which is really kind of at the forefront of leading these discussions literally and figuratively as a channel that plays these movies all the time will just take Gone with the Wind as a starting point and then use it as an example to examine other films of the period as well. So I it's agree. not just like Gone no, with the true. Wind, trash, let's talk about it, but everything <laughs> else is okay, you I know? Think that, I think the only thing is that with Gone with the Wind, because it's almost, it's more than a movie, it's like a symbol, it's, an, it's almost like an American institution and a lot of yeah. people, especially in the South, it's, I think it's definitely much more than a movie and whether... Whereas other films from that era are probably forgotten by many people. You know, it's young people probably uh-huh. won't watch them and they're not shown in cinemas regularly or even on TV. So, you know, people don't talk about them. But Gone with the Wind is still very much relevant. And especially in the South, I feel like it's still... So that's why yeah. it's such a problematic film because it's it's still really popular. And I think that's what bothers some people. Like, why is it still popular? Why do people still relate to it? Why do people still sort of love it and that's why that's why it's like no one's going to talk about i don't know some obscure john crawford film where there's a black maid you know in a in a maid uniform like obviously that's horrible and and offensive but you know no one's going to really necessarily see that whereas with gone with the wind it's still anyone you know if you mention gone with the wind almost anyone will know something about it or would have seen it at some point in their life so it's still so huge and that's probably why and it 
talks about it's like one of its main subjects is slavery and the civil war mm-hmm. so it's actually that's the subject matter so i think that's why it's such a a divisive film Right, and I totally get that, but I do think, you know, people who go to Turner Classic Movies Film Festival are hardcore film buffs who will watch those more obscure films, Um, and so I think if TCM is going to have a panel discussion about Gone with the Wind, it would be useful for them to carry that over into other films at the festival in later years, because, Mm. you know, Gone with the Wind is not the only problematic film from the 1930s. You can watch any Clark Gable film, basically, and, you know, he's, like, pushing women around and things (laughs) like that. And it's just, like, there's so much, so much imagery in old films that doesn't, like, jive with our current, like, quote-unquote, wokeness today. Hashtag me too. (laughs) Hashtag me too. Hashtag totally woke. But um, I think it's important to recognize that we can be fans of old films. We can be fans of Gone with the Wind. And at the same time, acknowledge that, yes, parts of it are offensive, parts of it have not aged well, parts of it, you know, if they remade it today, well, they probably wouldn't remake it today, you know? <laughs> it would so be quite I think a challenge you, to remake it without <laughs> addressing yeah, those like, things. Like, you don't have to be, you know, just because you like Gone with the Wind doesn't mean you're like an old white supremacist clans person running around, you know? Um, well, you can, I hope not, because I like it. I hope it. not, yeah. <laughs> if you're in the clan and you like Gone with the Wind, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, <laughs> I think if you're you in the clan, I mean? like, liking Gone with the Wind is probably like, the least of your troubles. Like, if you're in the troubles. clan, just <laughs> get out of here, you know? But it's... You can... You can do both things. You can like something for its artistic value, for... I mean, Gone with the Wind's a great story, you know? And I think that's why people connect with it. It has universal themes of survival, and, uh, you know, the, the characters aren't always likable, but I think they're they're just interesting in a way. Um, I know when I read the book, and granted, I read it as a teenage white girl, you know, so obviously my experience with this is completely different from an African-American person who might read it. Um, but for me, like, what I connected with was it Scarlett's, you know, wanting to survive. Um, I was really sort of taken in by the, the quote-unquote romance between her and Rhett, even though it was completely unhealthy, but it was one of those, like, <laughs> Wuthering Heights or Pride and Prejudice kind of, like, bad boy tries to get the girl kind of thing um but yeah so there are things that i think people anywhere around the world can watch that movie and relate to certain aspects of it and that's why i think it's been so popular yeah but the years it kind of i don't know this whole discussion kind of reminds me because there's also other discussions at this at the moment like going on about sort of whether it's still okay to i don't know watch a roman polanski film or is it okay to listen to uh-huh. michael jackson's music it's like all those different arguments are you know happening at this time and it's like it's quite difficult to answer any of those questions like categorically yes or no because there will always be so many different points of view and i don't know yeah i mean i i have never been a big michael jackson fan um i like some of his music i watched that documentary and was just completely sickened by it and i you know full disclosure completely believe those two guys um like obviously but you know, if you're a hardcore fan and you still love his music, I think it's okay. Like, he was a good artist, you know, so it's okay to still like his movies. 
but you know maybe you need to acknowledge that he wasn't like a great person um <laughs> you know and, and people i think who was it that wrote on twitter about like how michael jackson was like a light to so many i think it was i feel like it was diana ross or somebody like that and yeah. it's like yes maybe he was a light and a great force in the world to you and to other people but he was also a monster to other people and you know there's that sort of weird dichotomy where humans aren't always what they seem you know especially if they're famous people and they're kind of guarded by this cloud of fame this impenetrable cloud of fame but then i think the same thing of like roman polanski like he made some great films do i think he should be in prison yes i do will i still watch rosemary's baby probably so you know (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know yeah it's it's difficult Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Oof, wow. Did you watch the, the Michael Jackson documentary? I didn't and I have to say that I have to say that it is because not of denial, but because I kind of do have like a certain image in my head and I, I know that I will like you said, I will believe them because obviously I, I do believe people yeah. who come I don't think anyone would come forward with a story as horrific as that and like really put themselves out there if you know, just to make it up. I mean I don't think that's a thing so i know i believe them i know it's true i just don't want to really watch it because yeah well fair enough because it's it's really <laughs> depressing yeah. so you know you don't have I mean, to watch it i it's might okay. one day watch it but i just didn't feel like watching it when it first came out and everyone was watching it and like talking about it i just felt like you know what i'm just gonna leave it for now <laughs> If you do watch it, spread it out over a few days because it's a lot to take in for four hours. I mm. mean, it's, ugh, yeah, it's really heavy. I mean, there was the um, R. Kelly documentary. I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming out oh now. God, and, yeah. Uh, and again, I, wow. I mean, as a, uh, <laughs> it's it's sad, but so um yeah uh. So Drag Race is on. <laughs> <laughs> Something cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> I love Drag Race and the new season is so good I'm really so loving good. it <laughs> who's your favorite queen this season my favorite queen this season is Brooklyn Heights uh-huh. <laughs> why I do you like Brooklyn she is so beautiful and talented and like so graceful and her like um, catwalk moments are just runway moments sorry are just amazing and yeah, I think she's really talented and also a really nice person. But I also like yeah. e- Evie Oddly and she's really interesting, I think, and has like a very different style to anyone else who has been on there before. So I think she's... And she's so fierce because obviously she's dealing with so many different issues, like health-wise and stuff. So mm-hmm. I think I'm really sort of in awe of people who can really overcome so much and still thrive and, and shine. So that's amazing. How about yeah. you? Who, who do you root for? I mean, for? I like I like Brooklyn. She reminds me quite a bit of Detox from season was it season five? Detox. Do you oh remember? God, I can't remember that far back. I don't even like, know if I watched Detox from Rulaska Talks. Oh yeah. Yeah. I gu- yeah, she I guess so. Her. Actually, yeah, you're right. Yeah, just in the look, but um, yeah, I think Brooklyn's really interesting. Yeah, I like Evie Oddly just because she's really weird. Mm. And I do have a soft spot for Miss Vanjie. Yeah, oh, she's just so cute. And she's like, just really funny. A really nice 
person again. Like that gravelly voice. Bitch, yes! I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're really great. It's a great bunch of queens this season. Yeah, it's a good bunch. Plastic Tiara, I think, is really interesting as well. Yeah. Oh God, when yeah. she had that moment when she broke. Oh, just every season there's like this story which I really like resonate with because it's about mm-hmm. like how they struggle to be accepted by their families or by their communities or like it's either religion or some kind of cultural preconditioning mm-hmm. that like makes it so hard for them to come out to their families and like I find it heartbreaking for personal reasons as well because it's it's still such a huge deal in so many parts of the world and I think a lot of people don't realize that being gay or being um, well queer in any sense is mm-hmm. is still really really hard in many places and you know in America and Europe as well in different countries and obviously it can also be dangerous like you, you can die for being gay in certain yeah, places in the world yeah. so it's just heartbreaking so that's why I also love RuPaul's Drag Race because it really shines a light on that it, almost every season there's like one or two stories which are like really heartbreaking um, yeah so that's when really Nina sad. West was telling her story about um, coming out in college and just being like harassed yeah. by people in college, which is around the time that the Matthew Shepard murder happened. I, I remember being in, I think, I think I was in high school, like freshman year of high school when that happened. But I still remember that was big in the news. And I feel like it's so a lot of times it's so hard to even be like accepting of yourself, let alone like what other people might think of you and how that kind of you know weighs on you being able to just do you you know that i just i really admire people who are who do go out and do drag and things like that and who are very open about just like celebrating their queerness or their just their weirdness their uniqueness or everything so like i'm watching queer eye right now and yeah. i've just robbie and i have binged like <laughs> all three seasons this weekend and like i'm yeah, yeah i'm just like obsessed with these guys you know and they just seem so fun and this some of the stories of the clients that they take on on there like just you know being kicked out of their houses and things like that and being on their own or like not accepted in their church and everything it's just like oh my god I've cried a lot watching that yeah. show <laughs> <laughs> well, of course I laughed too but yeah actually it reminds me that one of the films last year that was really good was um, Boy Erased I don't know if you've seen it oh no I haven't no that was good actually I would recommend it that was with um, Lucas Hedges um, uh-huh. And Nicole Kidman, Russell Crowe played his parents, and he was, and it's based on a, a true story of this um, boy who was forced to undergo um, conversion therapy, and oh, yeah, and it's about like, his experiences. It was really, I think it was really well made and really sad, but also cool. really empowering. So I would recommend watching that definitely. Yeah, I'll check it out. Hmm. Hmm. My cat's meowing behind me. <laughs> she's like, it's time to go she's like, now. <laughs> it's been an hour, meow. Yeah. Before we started, we were like, this is not going to be a very long episode. And now it's like an hour already. It's like an hour. Maybe we should wrap it up and think of like a good topic to talk about next time. Yes. If you guys okay. are still awake. <laughs> yeah. I hope you enjoyed listening to us. 
We're it's back. It's been so good We're catching back, up. We're back, bitches. See you next year. <laughs> See you next year in another 84 years. <laughs> no, we're no. really going to try and do it more regularly. Season now two. Now it's warm. See, spring is here, so we're awake again. Yeah, we've come out of hibernation. <laughs> oh, mm. it's been so lovely chatting to you, Kendra. Yeah, you too, as always. Have an amazing time in California as well. Thank you. Do you have any holidays planned? Anything coming up? No. Boo. I went to Boo. Amsterdam recently. It was really cool. Um, oh, yeah. At the moment, no. But I'm sure something will come up. Well, Bradford, yeah. if nothing else, in June. <laughs> come to Bradford. You are more than welcome to come into my little cabal of Vivian Lee fans at the museum and to eat cake. That would be lovely, darling. I hope they have some vegan options because I've gone vegan since our last podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, I know they have gluten-free. I'm sure they do have a vegan something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure they do. They seem very inclusive. Yeah. Okay, well, well, I'll talk to you next time. What's that? (laughs) (laughs) If they have RuPaul playing, then yeah. Yeah, it's probably pretty good. Yeah. Okay, everyone. Yeah. We'll see you very soon. See you guys. Okay. Bye, Anthony. Bye, Kendra.